that time of the week again. It's Flat Out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Still coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. And I'll tell you what, as I record this, it's the weekend before the Wednesday that I normally launch this podcast. Down here in Melbourne, perfect flying conditions. Absolutely perfect. Crisp air, still a little bit chilly. Was calm winds for most of the day, not a problem. Uh, we had a lot of people out there enjoying aero modeling this weekend, I know that. So that is always good to hear. I've got a good episode for you, as always. Our special guest is a good friend of mine, Paul Marlin. Uh, we'll cover a lot of different topics. Uh, if you like motorbikes as well, stay tuned because we talk a little bit about motorbikes as well. But uh, Paul and I got a lot of common interests and uh, have done a lot of thing, different things together. But stay tuned. Wait until you find out about more about Paul Marlin. He's an amazing aerobatics pilot. But before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, what has been on my mind? Well, what has been on my mind has been the 39th Mammoth Scale Flying at the Shepparton Mammoth of Scale Flying event. Does that make any sense? 39th Mammoth Scale Flying, the Shepparton Mammoth Scale Flying event, 17th to 18th September, as I whack the microphone. Uh, I'll be there. Um, I've got it in my calendar. Hopefully, fingers crossed, the weather is good. If the weather's no good, I might not be there. The event might not be on. Anyway, I'm thinking too much about it. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know about this event, well, you're not in the flying scene then down here in Australia because it is Australia's largest uh, and most iconic mammoth scale flying so when we talk about mammoth we're talking about planes by uh, monoplanes that have a minimum wingspan of 80 inch and biplanes minimum wingspan of 66 inch scale planes only uh a shout out to mario shimbri who sent me a message today saying do you know that you're promoting the ship of the mammoth scale flying and saying that it's scale planes only but you can win a win a prize of an ultra stick from hangar nine yes mario it's a prize it's a prize kindly donated by model flight another good prize uh there'll be extra raffle tickets that uh you'll be able to purchase for both of these prizes but uh a ums radial engine uh i reckon that is pretty cool uh ums radial engine um thanks to ozstar models ozstar's model uh, uh so big thank you to them so um if you pre-enter now and you can pre-enter by visiting valleyradioflyers.com.au the website and you'll see buttons there to uh, register, uh, print out the form, send it in. Uh, Pre-entries, 45 bucks on the days, $50. Uh, scale planes only, as I said, monoplanes, 80-inch, biplanes, minimum 66-inch. All pilot pre-entry. So if you enter early, you go in the draw to win the 30cc stick. Uh, and all pilots will be in the draw to win a UMS radial engine with additional tickets available at $10 each. If you're going to buy tickets, buy them for me. I've got a I've got a, a booklet of um, tickets that I'm going to try to sell. So um, come to me, the bald guy with glasses and probably a camera near me. Buy, buy a ticket from me. Uh, win the UMS engine. Pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's a two-day event. Public is available to or allowed to come. Entry is $5. Under 16 are free. Food and drinks always available. Good burgers. Good hamburgers at the Mammoth Scale Flying. If you just want a good burger, come to the Mammoth Scale Flying. Anyway, I'll be there. Um, keep on pumping it up because it is a good event. Um, you see the best of the best model aircraft around. Uh, 
large-scale stuff. We all love big things, and we all got our planes have got bigger and bigger over the years, haven't, haven't they? I was just uh, out in my garage playing with some models. I'm going to talk a bit about maintenance today and what your thoughts about maintenance and models. But I was out there and uh, realizing that most of my models are big. I don't have many small models. Like I got 30cc size planes, 100cc generally. And I've got some foamies and some smaller stuff. But uh, but generally everything's kind of big. And I was in my little single car garage and was setting up my 3D Hobby Shop 75-inch extra that I've set up as electric. 12s 40cc dual sky motor up the front it's going to it's going to go hard more than enough grunt uh but uh i was just setting it up and put the wings on and it fills up the garage pretty quickly um and you know i've got a big trailer because how do you get to carry these big planes around well you need a trailer don't you so gee we've we've, we've really spent a lot of money on our, our remodeling haven't we bigger planes more expensive harder to get around need to spend more money to get them around Oh, I don't know. We're crazy. But anyway, maintenance. Maintenance is a, a – when you've got a fleet of aircraft, maintenance is an inevitable thing. You have to go through and maintain your model planes. And I was doing a bit of that today, just double-checking a few things. Uh, you know, at the moment, it's still winter here in Melbourne. It is – you know, we're getting some really nice days for flying. Um, I go skiing a fair bit, so uh, that's been – takes up my winter. Uh, but – gearing up for the onslaught for the impending spring great time to go flying here in australia is springtime so was going through some of my planes double checking them i've got a dlg that i've still got a maiden and haven't flown uh that i want to get up and so i was just doing some put that together plug the battery in, check the cg and that's all ready to go so i'm going to take that out next time as i said my 30cc extra just tidying up a few loose ends making sure things are okay and uh going through some of the other airframes as well uh it, I don't, I don't mind doing it. I, like building is not something that I love doing at this point in time in my life, because I'm always in a rush. You know, um, you know, today got up earlyish, had to go out and do something, came back home, had to wax some skis, then get into the model plane stuff, pack that all up, come and do the podcast, finish off my podcast, and edit the podcast and all that kind of stuff. Um, got some more work to do as well for the week. Got to pack because I've got to go to Sydney tomorrow. Um, busy week ahead. So it feels like it's I just don't have that time to enjoy building. But maintenance is something where I like having a list and just ticking off. Okay, uh, check the wheel pants, tick. So, for example, today with this new extra, uh, the 3D Hobby Shop wheel pants, they are subject to damage. Uh, I used to sell them. And I've kept some spares and stuff like that, but I like to fiberglass and strengthen the insides of them, just an extra layer to um, around certain points to help them sort of stay together a bit longer. So I did a bit of that, but um, just little things, checking checking um, bolts, you know, making sure things are done up tight, your servo um, horns and things like that, that they're still still tight enough not about to fall off when you think about it we spend a fair bit of money on these model planes and we want them to last so maintenance is a good thing uh even just keeping them clean keeping them clean if brad worms listening go and clean your planes well, no, he's getting better always give brad worm a, uh, a bit of heat for his planes not being clean but anyway uh just wipe them over microfiber cloth is good uh, but so anyway maintenance we've all got to do it keep on top of it now another good tip for maintenance is don't have too many airplanes because the more airplanes you have the more maintenance you need to do 
now I know I've lost you because I know that's not going to happen. Guest time, my favourite part of the podcast. And this week's guest is a very good friend of mine. This guy is the guy that got me back into aero modelling after quite a break. Uh, his name is Paul Marlin. Paul Marlin uh, was very active in the pattern flying scene through the, the 2000s and a little bit in you know the last sort of 10 years. Uh, but he's still an avid aero modeler. Doesn't fly as much as what he used to, but got a good story to tell. And, um, and and we really talk about from the early days all the way through. And, and we cover other topics because I met Paul through car racing. We got our racing licenses together and then we competed against each other and, and we became good mates. And and um, we got to Hallies together, model Hallies together. And uh, we're a member of a, well, we're a member of a couple of clubs now um, together. So we've spent over the years, probably the last 10 years it is, we spent a little bit of time together at the flying fields. But he's one of those guys that just seem to have a lot in common with him. Uh, we even went to the same school, which we found out later. But uh, so he's a good guy. I'm uh, very proud to call him a friend. And he's a good aero modeler at that as well. So here's my chat with the one and only Paul Marlin. Well, this week we have a guest joining us that it's a man that I know very, very well. Uh, his name is Paul Marlin. He's a flying gun. Paul, thanks for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. No problem. It's good to be here. Well, I do. I think I do know you well. I've, we we met. Oh, what year was it? Two thousand and ten. Yeah, I was thinking about this this earlier. Um, yeah, we did our Cairns observed license test on the same day, and it was two thousand and ten. About this time of the year, two thousand and ten. That's true. And so we were uh, we referring to car racing here because uh, yep. Paul and I are, are action men, aren't we, Paul? And absolutely, we have you have to do your racing license test, and, and that's where I met Paul. And from that point onwards, there was just this connection, this similarity in our interests. Mm. I always say that we're very different people. We're we're like the odd couple <laughs> in a kind of way. I'm yeah. a bit loosey goosey, and you're very very methodical. And mm. so I think yeah. we balance each other out. But we we share similar interests, and mm-hmm. you're the reason why I got back into flying model planes. Yes, I am to blame. You are I'm partially to blame. You yes. are to blame. Facilitated. Yeah, that's true. And I think that you've you've helped other people along the way, and we'll get into that as well. Now, I've always said that I, I I've met a lot of people in aero modelling, and you, I generally don't know their backstory about how they got into aero modelling. And I've never asked you this question: how you got into aero modelling. So, please share with us, Paul. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Okay, so probably. Um, it goes back a, a long way to being a young young kid um, and just being interested in models. Um, and I think probably the the first thing I remember, um, I was born in Brisbane, grew up in Brisbane for the first first few years, and we made with my dad a little air of flight, little balsa like you know profile fuselage. I think it had built up wings, um, but it was tiny, right? And I remember just. Um, you know, we trimmed it, puttied into the nose, got it all trimmed just nice. And our, the, our house, the like the side of the house was on, on a hill. Um, and I stood at the top of the hill one day. And it was you know, nice morning, um, nice and still, you know, perfect flying day. And just chucked my little glider down the hill and it just flew. And it just flew. And it flew right down the hill, across the block, um, over the street, into the creek kind of thing. Mm. And I was just transfixed and probably it all has gone started from there um you know this is like maybe five years old or something like that so that's kind of you know that that fascination of flying things started i think with that moment because i do remember it now and i'm 
54, as sad as that is to say. Um, and so it, it kind of just, you know, things festered, if you like, from there. Um, as a, as a child, you know, various little balsa, balsa kits and, and things like that. Um, we, I remember, you know, a friend had, had been given a, a, a glider kit and so well, when you finish building kind of the plans, um, so I just made the little chuck lighter, maybe it's a meter wingspan or something like that. Just, um, got the plans, got the balsa, um, and just cut out all the ribs and made a, made a thing, you know, tissue and doped it and off we went. And, but that's all I could do at the time. So if you fast forward a little bit, maybe, what was I? Um, this is okay, 1981. And so there's a, an event in this. So I was, um, I wanted to get into control line um, and I'd found an OS 15 at the local hobby shop and I put it on lay-by and my, my dad and I were, we were building a control line plane. If we um, bouncing around a little bit, we'd moved to, to Melbourne, so growing up in East Doncaster. And um, so we we're fairly close pro proximity to the Doncaster Air Modelers Club. You know, and so dad take me down there sometimes and you know, watch the things. So we we're building a control line plane. And unfortunately, my, my dad passed away um, in what was it, September 81. And so we had this, well, I had this partially built control line plane um, and you know, well, couldn't do anything with it. And that's kind of where modeling finished for me for quite a few years because I just, there was no way I could, I could do anything. Um, I sold that, that plane, you know, put on trading post as you do at the time. Um, and I, I do <laughs> what, one of the things I bought with that was Duran Duran's Rio. <laughs> and I still have that as, as absolute pride in my, in my final nah, collection. I see. Yeah. Yeah. We don't share, or we've got some similar taste in music, but not with Duran Duran. <laughs> uh, I think there'll be a lot of people out there of, of, of my vintage, and that is, it is still a magnificent album, and I, and I do put it on every so often and it just takes me back back to those those times. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, that, that um, so era modeling was really out for me because, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, there was mum and two sisters, but, you know, uh, there was no one to drive, drive me around. I couldn't really get anywhere. Um, I'd, I'd ride my bicycle there to the Doncaster Aero Club some, you know, some days, some, some Sunday afternoons, have a look at it and just kind of, yeah, I'd really love to do that. There was no way that I, it was just beyond, um, what I could practically do. Um, but I liked, um, radio control stuff and, um, and I liked, racing you know where we kind of started the conversation um and so i ended up i found the 12 scale racing out at um, ringwood car park uh, it was on sunday mornings and you know i'd cobbled together you know save pocket money and paper around money and all that kind of stuff and bought a radio control buggy that was starting to happen and um really made myself a little 12 scale car um uh, as best as i could and uh, just you know rode my bike out there on a, on a sunday morning and and um and tried to get into doing 12 scale racing and yeah really got the bug with that so did that for a bit um then the temple stove buggy track um started happening and you know got into got into the buggy racing um then at temple stove and you know that time i was getting to the you know, going through finishing you know school um i could drive that by that time so a bit more bit more freedom and so forth um so radio control cars was really the passion for that for that period of time um 
then okay start working all that kind of stuff so that's when we get into into bigger cars and all of that kind of stuff so i got into um, motorbikes did some motorbike racing for a now couple wait of a second, years wait a how old are you when you got into motorbikes uh maybe 20 21 okay it's just I've just always ask the question because there's a general mm. trend with males mm. and something to do with petrol and getting into things that involve petrol when they're teenage you know in early youth after school so yeah, good look, to see you follow the trend. Yeah, I always loved racing. You know, I loved love car racing. So that was you know watch you know just passionately watch the Formula One, record it you know on the VHS tape, um, and and watch it. You know, remembering this is the in the mid to late eighties kind of thing. Um, but once I had enough money, then I, can't, I I wanted to go. I had to race. I needed to race. I just wanted to be involved in motorsports. So the only thing I could afford was motorbikes. So two fifty production racing at, at you know club level. Um, doing doing that for a couple of years, um, a couple of falls, lost, didn't really hurt myself or anything, but really, you know, honestly, lost my nerve um, for motorbike racing. Um, did a little bit of go kart racing, just you know, still still loved trying to do some um, racing, and really nothing. Had, you know, by that time, it was okay. Getting married, getting a house, all of the kind of stuff. You know, all the, every all of those things go into back burner. Um, and then when, you know, a little bit of money back again, so wanted to do some, some proper car racing. So got myself a Formula V, um, and, uh, this was 96, the start of 96 and actually won the Cairns, um, Victorian championship in 96 in the, in the Formula V. So that was, yeah, it was a, you know, good, good place. Really enjoyed doing that. Tried to, to get into a Formula Ford, kind of got, got a car that was, yeah, what I could afford, but it wasn't a great car. And it just was too much for me. Just doing all the maintenance, everything myself. I just, it just, it burnt me out. I couldn't do it. And that's when air modeling starts to come in. So what year so, are we talking now? 98. Or so we're talking 98. Yeah. I reckon this is 98. So, um, from the Templestowe days, um, I knew in passing of the legendary Cliff McIver. <laughs> And Hawthorne Hobbies because his son raced at Templestone as well. So down to the um, Hawthorne Hobbies and, you know, introduced myself to Cliff. Hey, you remember from Templestone, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and Cliffy helped me out, you know, selecting models, selecting the radio and stuff like that and joined Doncaster Era Modelers. And I've, I've got, I would say the great privilege of having Cliff teach me how to fly. Um, and if any, yeah, for any of the people who have had that, that privilege, um, well, here, are, here I am 20 plus years on and, 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 um, still involved in air modeling, um, and have done, you know, development skills to a, to a certain level along the way, um, you know, with the foundation that, that Cliffy was able to provide. And there was a great, you know, group of guys, um, down at, at, um, at the Doncaster Air Modeler Club at that time when, when I was going there a lot. And they were doing pattern flying. And, you know, that, those, you know, they weren't quite two meter pattern planes in. They're a little bit undersized from that. They were still the rules, but just watching what they could do with those pattern planes, I was just, that was hooked. So it was just obsession, obsession, get through trainer, get first sport plane, learn how to do aerobatics, um, get a secondhand pattern, pattern plane and learn how to fly pattern. And that was, that was it. Hooked in, hook line sinker, pattern, pattern junking. All at all at Doncaster. 
It was a Doncaster. Because yeah. Doncaster, yeah. it's a pretty small field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, you fly a pretty tight box. Well, look, there was you had to fly a pretty tight box, and and the 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 pattern line, you know, you'll take your turns, and you'd have the pattern line over Bulling Road or whatever it was, possibly at the um, at the um, geographically, um, but everyone was quite conscious of that of that box size and the restrictions where you could go. But yeah, there was you know there was four or five of us, and we'd be taking our turns doing our pattern schedules and and um, calling for each other and. And helping helping each other, um, yeah. Dennis Travis Iris, <laughs> you know, what what how far Dennis has gone um, from from those um, humble beginnings as well. Who else was flying pattern back then at Doncaster? Um, all right, so obviously there was there was Cliffy, um, David Gibbs um, was was getting into flying at the time. There, so you had Dennis, um, Graham Kane, Bob Student, you had Fernando. So they're all still these guys are still involved. A lot of them, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, apologies if I've forgotten anyone. They were the, they were probably the, the key, you know, the, the big group um, at Doncaster that every Sunday afternoon they're, they're flying pattern. Um, and, you know, I just um, went along with that and, and really just, you know, loved it. And the encouragement that those guys gave and, you know, we all, we all gave each other. You know, these were 140, OS 140 RX times, you know, retracks, you know, skinny, skinny, Pattern pattern models more more darts than much much more than what they are now, and you had to build them. So you know you, we're not talking the um, the oxide kits, you know the high the very high end ARF kits that, that we use now, um, but you know Bolly kits, fiberglass fuselages, you know, and foam core wings and and um, all of those those kinds of things. So um, learning how to build, um, not that it's yeah, scratch building, but you know, um, five glass fibers building, wing sheeting, all of that kind of stuff, and building light. Did Did you enjoy that? Because I know you, you don't mind getting your hands dirty, but did you do? You, did you enjoy building models? Um, I did. I don't anymore. Um, I, I I don't know honestly how I did it. <laughs> um, when I look when I look back at it, um, but you know, I did. I, I built a, a couple of the ZN line. Kits, you know, the pattern kits, um, which were, you know, a really nice, you know, really light um, glass, you know, carbon Kevlar fuselage, um, pre sheeted wings, um, but none of the cutouts done, none of the leading trailing edges or anything like oh, that. Yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of work to do. And I did keep a book on, on one of them, and it was a, a full hundred hours um from opening the box to having a, a plane so that's ready a, that's a big time commitment doing it it is it really is yeah. like that absolutely yeah yeah and and painting it yourself and yeah. you know um you know to the to that level of fanaticism of you know with f3a because every gram counts because you've got the the weight limit you know getting up i think what i what i get a five five color paint scheme in 75 grams or something like that <laughs> you know yeah it was it was you know that that level of attention to detail to get a nice and they and they, and they flew beautifully, um, and, and so that that really the F three A part um, really was um, that that first part of my my era modelling interest, and that's what really really strung me along. And so so you competed then from an early from pretty early on there, as quickly as I could, as and <laughs> as quickly as Cliffy would allow me to. Kind of thing, um, yeah, because um, you know, he wanted to make sure he developed the right skills and, and so forth. 
yeah, we're starting off in the sportsman and, and getting getting through. And I did achieve um, a master's ranking after one. Well, I think it took five years or something like that. But you know, I got through um, and and had master's ranking for for a couple of years um, or while I was actively flying, I guess. And how um how often were you out practicing? Always, yeah. Basically, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I'd go out two days, you know, both days on the weekend if the, if the weather was good. Not all day. But go out in the morning. I was a member of the um, Yarra Valley Aero Modelers. Um, so I could go out there on Saturday morning, um, get some flights in, and um, go to Doncaster on Sunday afternoon, get some flights in. Well, I, I always think that, you, you know, since I've known you, you nev- never do things by halves. You're a very no. thorough and, as I said, methodical kind of person. So, and, you know, uh, when you decide to do something, you don't do it by halves. It's 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 full in. So I didn't realise you were doing that much flying, um, flying oh, yeah. back then. Yeah. yeah. And, look, I, I was – it wasn't – how was I? I had some level of natural natural ability, not not at your level of natural ability. Well, as you course. know, I'm pretty much one of the best pilots around. <laughs> Exactly. It's just you haven't chosen to show us the skills well, just yeah. yet. Well, it might yeah. put people off the hobby. Exactly. Right. Intimidation. But, you know, to learn, learn, apologize if my, you can hear the dog barking in the background. Um, the, to learn, like I'll take for example, rolling. So rolling maneuvers are really important in F3A. And in the schedules at the time, there were, less snap roll maneuvers and more complex rolls. And when I say complex rolls, rolling loops, rolling circles, rolling circles with reversed roll directions, things like that. So you had to be really good at, at rolling. And so I had this ultimate biplane with a um, OS 124 stroke in it. Um, and that was my, my beta plane. And I'll go out to um, the Arrow Valley field and I would, yeah, and if I went there at the right time, I'd pretty much have the field to myself. There might be one or two other guys. And so I could just go up and down the strip and practicing rolling. And the way I would learn to do it was I would learn, I would roll as slow as I could make the, the plane roll. So I would concentrate on the first segment of rolling from upright to knife edge and I'd do it, try and take the whole strip to do it. So you've got to completely fly the model through every part of that slow quarter roll. So you've got to get your your keep your aileron control perfect. You've got to keep your rudder, feeding your rudder and your elevator controller in absolutely perfectly so that you're keeping it on a straight line, level flight, straight down the strip, as slow as it will roll. Right? Get that right. Now do it from knife edge to inverted. And you keep going through the segments and then start putting it all together to have complete roles so that you have absolute control of the model through all the facets and all the orientations of that of that rolling maneuver. Of course you've got to do it left to right, right to left. You've got to start it from upright, you've got to start it from inverted. Um, and that way then you can start um, flying the model through the roll. So then you can start um, working on your rolling circles and steering the model you know, in that plane while it's rolling. And then you can start work on rolling loops um, because you completely understand the inputs that you need to put into and what the model's going to do and all the orientations. But it took a long time to do. Um, but, you know, that's what I was passionate about. And that's, you know, what I'd set myself a goal 
I really wanted to fly the world championships. And so I was practicing in my mind. That's, that's what my goal was. So I targeted, what was it, the 2005 world championships were in France. So I was trying to yeah, get good enough to get onto the team for that. Ultimately, I finished fourth in the um, in the team trial, so I missed out by. You were wrong. No. I was wrong. <laughs> no, I didn't fly good enough at the day. Well, uh, people have said to me, "Was it? An, did you try it for another World Champs after it?" No, um, I tried for so the last if, the last F three A competition I, that I did was the Masters um, that were in was it twenty sixteen. Um, at Pakenham, at Pien Darks, um, and there was an, um, it was for the chaos, you know, the Asian Championship trial as well. And again, um, I missed by one spot. Um, but that's that kind of I, I did too much for that. Um, I burnt, burnt myself out practicing for that and just didn't enjoy it. Um, I flew probably as good as I've ever flown, um, but the the complexity of some of those manoeuvres. If anyone has, um, you know, looked at the F3A, um, the final schedule, and um, I haven't looked at one in the last couple of years, but you know, that one, that was a monster of a of an F schedule. Um, and to be able to fly that competently, which I had to do to try and get through the team trial, um, I just, it just, it was too much. I just burnt myself out. And, um, I didn't, I didn't fly the model, a model, I think, for a year after that. Um, event. It just, yeah, just burnt me out. Just, no, that's it, done. Yeah, okay. So let's yeah. go back to, so 2005, you were robbed and other people have told oh, me that. Oh, was it robbed? Other people flew better than that. No, well, do, uh, people have said to me, like random people, if, if your name comes up in conversation, they've said, oh, yeah, he robbed, he should have gone. Um, but anyway, I don't know the details, but that's all they say. Mm. But up. Uh, but okay, so you're out there, and you. But you also got into iMac at some point in time as well, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the, the big models were um, starting to come onto the scene um, in that you know that that early two thousands kind of thing. Yeah, Peter Goldsmith, um, I, I remember because he'd been flying at the TOC, um, and yeah, the TOC um, tournament of championship tournament of champions in Las Vegas was. You know, a huge event um, back in, in in those in those times. Um, you know, I'd devour every magazine that had every article about it. And Pete Goldsmith, um, who'd flown there, had, um, did a demo flight. Uh, there was this field out in Hillsville, or close to Hillsville, and he bought this monstrous plane out, scratch built, you know, beautiful thing. And it was just this. It was unbelievable. You know, it was just such a, an incredible thing to see. Oh no! Oh no! Um, what happens next? You fall in love with it. Well, no, but the, the, the thing is, they, they weren't. It wasn't available. It wasn't. It was. You just you had to scratch build these things. You know, there were. You know, the, it just. You know, desert aircraft wasn't wasn't around. You know, there wasn't wasn't like it is now. You know, like you had with three D hobby shop. It, it's just it's it just wasn't. You couldn't get the stuff. You know, composite ARF was fiberglassics. You know, that's. You know, it was it was before any of that stuff had happened. Um, but that, you know, sparked the interest. Um, and, um, you know, it was really fortunate. Um, perhaps in, in hindsight, it was, it was good, good foresight, um, to save and save and save and get, to, and fortunately, my wonderful wife was, um, on board and then we took a holiday. Um, and we went to the TOC what in 2002. Was that? 
2002. Yeah, 20 years ago. So, and it was the last, last one. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was just amazing because I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't exist. Yeah. The, 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 you know, and Kike and Christoph and and Chip and all of those guys. Um, it was just, I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and so, you know, that, that, you know, when it came back and as things started to become available, then, yep, had to get a 100cc plane and DA100 and IMAC was starting up and, you know, Plano had a plane and Richo and, you know, Wilco, all the, you know, all the O's, um, doing some flying out of Bendigo was the hub. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of those guys are still flying around too now. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's great. Mm. Glenn Orchard comes up, his name comes up in his podcast a lot uh, <laughs> for not coming onto the podcast. I, I, I saw him a couple of weekends ago actually at the Flying Club mm. and um, he, he has promised me that he is going to come on. Good. Um, right. So I'll save another milestone event for him so that we can get him on because, you know, but your relationship with Glenn Orchard started when? Because, you know, if anyone that's listening overseas or whatever, Glenn Orchard has been a top uh, pattern pilot, um, represented Australia many times now at, um, in pattern flying. But I think you helped him along the way, didn't you, back in those early days? Yeah, look, um, Glenn and I have got a great story and we are absolutely great mates. Um, and it's probably close to 20 years that we've been, been friends, but it was a, at a local you know, comp, I think it was up at Cobram or something like that. And, um, um, yeah, he, he um, and a couple of the other, like IMAC, Let's iMac Air Quote guys had um, come to have a look and wanted to have a fly, and um, I thought we just kind of hit it off, and um, have been great mates ever, ever since. Um, and yeah, you know, um, he's you know he's loaned me a jet to get back into some jet flying, so he's loaned me his Elaine, and um, hopefully we'll be able to get the weather weather gods will shine on us, yeah. and we'll be able to go and have a bit of a fly, and I can get get my chops back um, with some jet. Jet flying. Did you coach him though in those early days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if coach is the right word, but there, um, um, I, I would certainly, there were certainly some times when, you know, we would, I did a lot of calling um, at, at patent comps um, with, with Glenn um, and just doing some really targeted practicing, like I was talking about rolling, um, you know, some other things, really just some targeted. Um, practice things. So, you know, the critical eye looking at it and then just breaking it down um, to try and <clears throat> work work on not the practice makes perfect, but the perfect practice makes perfect. So to, to make sure that you're developing in the muscle memory the correct way of doing it and removing the, the, those wrong ways of doing things or things that aren't working for you. So, we, yeah, we did, we did some work with that. But, you know, Glenn's a, a terrific, terrific pilot, massive, massive skill. Um, yeah, and I, I do offer him some advice, you know, if he needs any. Mm-hmm. Every time I see him, I mm-hmm. say, if you need a hand, I'm here for you, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Uh, because but remember, your, you know, your skill level is quite intimidating. So it is. It is. I reticent to take you out. He does seem a bit nervous around me, so I think it's because of that. <laughs> well, yes, there is that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these techniques that you adopted in learning how to fly, did you learn from somebody else, or is it something that you developed yourself? Um, I think it's. I don't recall learning it from someone else. It, there, there was probably while we there wasn't a lot of coaching 
you know, it's not really a thing that you, that, you know, certainly at the time that you'd be, you know, others would coach one another. Um, you know, we would, you know, critic, oh, your loop was a bit off here or whatever like that, you know, from a geometry point of view, you know, in pattern. But the, I guess I'm, you know, that, that detail minded person, I'm a you know, mechanical engineer by trade. You know, um, I, I, I live in, in detail, it's kind of my, my day. In day. Oh, I know you of, do. Oh, I, I know you know. I had to share, I shared many a, a pit garage with you. Yeah. You'd be so, tinkering with your car, and I'd be like, the biggest difference be, I can make is know. in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd just be, yeah, in, yeah. we will tell, actually, we will recite, save that story. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so okay, so okay. So basically, mm. it's something that you develop. Well, you, mm. you did give me a few tips, which was really handy as well. And I still, mm. you know, that 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 idea of practicing your roles. Mm. I actually started doing that a fair bit as well yeah. because it made so much sense. The mm. biggest challenge with doing that kind of stuff is you go down to the local flying field, and there's lots of other people there, and almost the monotony of going up and down just practicing a quarter of a roll that you've got to maintain that focus um and i think that you can do that in a circuit too yes you you, you can be doing it if you're just doing straight circuits with everyone else you can be doing slow rolls down each down each leg um you can practice your rolling circles um to do to do your your, turnarounds you could do knife edge Turnarounds. You could do knife edge passes and still maintain a circuit. Um, you, you know, it, you practice what's hard. It was was the mantra. Practice what's hard. So, mm. wh- what are you good at? Well, okay, that's great. Give yourself a pat on the back. What aren't you good at? Go out and practice that. Yeah, because yeah, you know, it's a you know, in pattern. It's a damn great system. So you start you start with ten points on the board for each maneuver, and each mistake you make, make you get damn grades. Oh. So, you know, I'm sure, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give Bill Bloodworth the quote, but don't give the, um, don't give the judges any opportunity to give you a downgrade. Hmm. So what is it you need to do to, to fly as closely as perfect as possible? And so, and got to, I guess, make the distinction between, so there's the mechanical part of flying. So when you're in the early stages of, of learning anything, um, you know, we started, you know, before this was talking about, um, we started recording, we are talking about guitar pedals. Um, so, you know, you, you, whatever skill that you might be working on, you've really got to think about it while, while you're doing the thing. And then you get to that unconscious competence kind of thing. And that's where I, where one of the things that I loved at the, in the flying, so you learn, I teach, you know, I'd force myself to be really concentrating on the stick maneuvers on how to achieve this thing, how to make, you know, direct the model through the airspace in the way that I wanted it to go. But in the same time, it's just, that's just programming your mind so that you're not thinking about, okay, I've got to move the rudder stick a little bit here and the elevator stick. It just becomes this natural movement. So what you're doing is you're looking at the model, then you're you're subconsciously reacting to what needs to be done to get it on the path that you you want it to be to be on 
So then, you know, it's, it's completely unconscious then. You're just thinking about the geometry, the shapes, that, that trajectory, the wind correction, what manoeuvre is coming up next, where I need to be positioned, what speed do I need to be, you know, how am I managing the momentum of the model, all of these, these kinds of things. Um, and all of that, that stuff just about flying is just is done, being done subconsciously. So you can think, I'm not strategically might be the, the wrong word, but you can plan your flight and do that. And that's, you know, getting to that level is what I, what I would love. And, and that the deep, deep concentration that I could get into. Um, and I'd call it going into, into the zone. Um, and, you know, absolutely consciously, or not, I shouldn't say consciously, but remember that approaching of tunnel vision. So, you know, that, that darkness in the periphery of your, of your vision and that single focus just on, on the model. Um, and you know, not aware of your hands, you're just, you're just guiding it by thought. And that was that ultimate point. Like, you know, this, it's like a, like a high or, or a fix. And that's what I used to love is just getting really deep, deep into that, into that zone. Um, where you, where you just, it's, you're just looking at it, looking at the model and, and you're thinking it through. Um, in your hands, yes, it's all connected to the transmitter, all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, um, but it's, it's just happening at a different, different level. And, it, you know, it really is a, is a great feeling when that all happens. Doesn't happen often. No, it was, it's interesting. Um, you know, a guy that we knew well, Ido Segev, he, I asked mm. him one day, I said to him, when you're flying these, you know, freestyle aerobatic routines, whatever, are you flying the model all the time? You know, because, a lot of people say, you know, 3D flying, stick banging and all that kind of stuff. And he said, mm-hmm. everything is me. He said, I'm flying every single part of that manoeuvre. And mm-hmm. for him to learn something new was really easy because he just he, he just had to visualise it and his, his brain, his fingers knew exactly what to do. So he could adapt to any aircraft and be in touch with that very, very, very quickly. But mm-hmm. that came through repetition. And yes. a similar approach to you in that, he would practice all the things that he wasn't good at and he wouldn't keep moved. You know, he was doing four-minute freestyle routines and he'd have to create the routine, but he would, you know, he'd create it, say, on a simulator because, you know, you had simulators back then and then mm. he would practice something to perfection and then move on to the next stage of the flight. So it was never yeah. do the whole flight. It was – and then it was um, his father and his brother were with him and they'd have a pre-flight briefing and then a post-flight briefing to, to, to all critique what was going on. So it was that really methodical, and only four flights because they didn't want to wear the plane out before the competition. So that, that methodical approach to practice, I think, is, is, a, is a critical thing. Did you ever use simulators at all as part of your practice? Oh, I, look, absolutely, yeah. Um, um, when they you know, had a very early Dave Brown, really early in the piece. Um, um, but, yeah, a lot on the simulator to the point, you know, you get home from work, first thing I do with getting, all right, jump in the simulator, okay, what are we practicing the, the, the maneuvers the most, most struggling with in the pattern schedule? Um, and again, so the, uh, I remember, you know, there was, there was one, there was a, like a rolling circle with three rolls reversed or something like that. Um, and to be able to do that in both, both directions, you know, with the wind correction, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's difficult and it's hard to learn those skills when you can only go flying on a Sunday afternoon or, you know, if you're lucky, you know, you can go get a couple of flights on a Saturday. 
as well. So the simulator was really incredibly powerful tool for learning those kinds of things. Um, so you can just get that, get that understanding of, of, of the stick movements, what you need to do, um, just ingrained into your, into your fingers so that, um, when you're in the real world, um, flying the model, you, you can, you can do it. Um, you've got the skills. You learn to do it on the simulator and then go and do it, do it with the model. Yeah. So there was a lot of practice that you did back in the mid 2000s kind of period. Fast forward to today where, you know, you're flying sort of being on and off kind of thing. Mm. Have you been able to, you know, keep that skill level up? Look, I've seen you fly and I know how well you fly and how neat you fly, but how how do you rate your flying, you know, 2022 versus 2005? Look, um, it, <laughs> it, it's funny um, because I always would, would struggle with having too low a baseline in, in F3A. So just, you know, flying that, that base level a bit too low. Um, and, um, I go out and I, and I do a flight and I do exactly the same thing. You'd think after mm. a few years, you'd kind of forget that, but no, um, that one of the things that I haven't been able to train, train out of myself. Um, I don't, um, have the orientation skills, um, that I used to have. I know that's, you know, so, um, and particularly, you know, being now at the wrong, well, well alongside 50, um, with the eyes not as sharp as they used to be. Um, when you've got the challenging light and the, and the model is in a, in an odd, um, uh, position, um, you know, maybe, you know, you've got a, you're doing a knife edge thing and then you get that glint of sun or it just blends into the, into the clouds and, you know, you get that, mm-hmm. that bit which of way is it going? Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, what am I doing? Okay. Well, I haven't moved, I haven't moved the sticks or anything like that. So it's still yes. doing what it was doing it's before. It's back to, I call it reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm yeah. losing mm-hmm. orientation. What's my stick position at? If I go the opposite way, then I might be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it's just, um, it's not as natural as as it, as it used to be. Um, and and also have have haven't enjoyed it um, for quite some time. Um, but uh, but hopefully um, the do a bit of jet flying um, coming up because I do I do have a jet um, uh, pilot Viper. Which I built a few years ago and had some issues with and so forth and kind of lost interest and, uh, but now interest has, has come back. Um, so as I say, with, um, hopefully we'll get some good weather and, um, Glenno being incredibly generous and, um, offering me to use his LAN, um, to, to get some, just get some, you know, jet flying confidence back. Just get that, just get that, that, that confidence. Back um, with a you know, good docile. Oh, model. you'll be right. You'll uh, be right. Yeah, and then um, get get the get the Viper going. Yeah. So let's just wind the clock back a bit, right? Because then 2005, you just miss out on the World Champs, right? Mm. What happens after that point? Do you continue flying, or because oh, at some yeah, point absolutely. you took a break? Look, yeah. So um, then then we'll we'll, we'll ride into into IMAC. and I, and I will I will go back to the to the story because I think I remember you you listening to the. Um, with with Dennis when you were talking to him, yeah, I did. It did hurt the team trials in in Canberra. We'll just go back to you know this this getting into the zone and so forth. The the one time in my life when I did actually have an out of body experience, and so this was you know in the team trial for the um, the world championships, and um, yeah, Bill was Bill Bloodworth was calling, and I absolutely just during the middle of the flight, I was standing behind looking at Bill 
um, who was behind me, so I was watching watching us whilst whilst I was flying. And so I, I was looking, I, I don't know, maybe there's a psychologist who could who could tell what that actually means. But yeah, I had the external reference to what was going, a third party view, a third person view of it. And it was one of the best flights I've ever done. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I stood back and I was watching it, watching it occur. Um, it's just, just an amazing place to get to mentally. You know, I don't even know how that works with the, with the brain. Mm, mm. It's either it's either drugs that you were taking, or or you're you must have a, a great ability to focus, mm. which I yeah. suffer from that in spades. But, <laughs> the opposite, but yeah, I sort of can nod off in the middle of a car race. Um, but you must have that ability to really have that extreme level of focus to get to that point. And I, mm. I can see that. I can yeah. see that in you. Mm. But yeah, it was just, it was a fascinating thing. And, you know, it was, I just vividly remember it. But how did you fly? Did you, did you, was the flight a good flight? Off the cracker. Yeah. Yeah. It was an absolute cracker of a flight. Mm. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's just the weirdest, weirdest thing. Yeah. And you get those really, really good flights and say so you'd have almost like a tunnel vision and I wasn't even aware of my hands on the, on the transmitter. It was just looking at the model and guiding it. It was, you know, like Neo in the Matrix kind of thing, something like that. But this is one step further, whereas, you know, a third part of you, you to it. But that's, you know, that's, you know, that, that's just an indication of, you know, I, I was really passionate about it um, and really dedicated. And I worked and worked and worked because that was my, my goal to get to that, to, to get to the world, world chance. But, you know, that and then you got so, robbed. Um, that's your words, not mine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't perform well enough on the day. Other people, three other people, um, performed better, so they deserved to to um, to get the places. Um, and we move on. And look, I think two weeks after that, we were at Wollongong for an IMAC comp, which is a ripper fun comp um, with our hundred cc um, IMAC planes. Um, so I got got straight back into it, and, um, and then this was yeah. So I kind of just got bored with it all. I'm not bored. Just getting you know, tired of it all in the late 2000s. Um, I think I got a, you know, I got a third place in the Masters. You know, I kept, you know, kept, kept flying. Um, I got one third place in the Australian Masters. Um, so, you know, still flew at a, at a quite high level. Um, but then I just kind of got a bit disillusioned with it all and, um, then got the car racing bug back again and um, bought a, a go-kart, tried some kart racing and just didn't really enjoy it, but loved the competition. And then our paths crossed. And that changed so your life forever. Changed my, changed my life forever. Yep. Mm. Yep. So, yeah, a couple of, couple of years of, of car racing and you know, doing a little bit of flying during that. But, yeah. No, well, wait a second, wait a second. Both. Mm-hmm. So... There wasn't a couple of years of car racing. I think you raced a bit longer than I did because I know 2010, yeah. I think we started racing. And then yeah. um, I sold my car in 2015. So 2011, mm. 12, 13, 14, then uh, not much in 15 for me. I think one race meeting or a couple or something. And then um, I sold my car, but you then kept your car, had another car for a, a little bit. Yeah. But back in those early days, 
I don't know how we got onto the model airplane thing. And then that sparked, reignited Mm. this spark in my brain Mm. like, oh, yeah. And I said, oh, well, I had a helicopter. I bought a helicopter in 2007, a T-Rex 415, and you had just got into the thing. So we would go to Phillip Island. And we were, yeah. remember being on the footy oval with 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 Brett, our mate Brett now, yeah. and yeah. out on the footy oval having a fly of model airplanes after a day of car racing on the Saturday kind of thing. So, and then uh, you, got, you know, the, I went and bought a trainer after that to go and get into the plank flying mm. after that, and that was your spark that did that. So it's, you're all the person to blame. And hey. then <laughs> things start expanding because you had a holiday house down the coast. My yeah, in-laws yeah. lived down the coast and we ended yeah. up at the same flying field. And and we, we did a bit of flying back then. And, you know, if we were down there, I'd say you'd come into the club and you'd come down and, and we'd get there late, like, you know, after two when most people had gone. And you drummed into me because there's always a bit of an afternoon sea breeze down there in summer where we were flying. And you drummed into me, drummed into me, you've got to go out and fly. It doesn't matter about the wind. You've got to learn how to fly in the wind. And I'd have these small models and whatever. And I remember having a look at the wind gaze at the club and it was 34 kilometre per hour wind. And it, like, but fortunately there it was pretty steady breeze. And I remember taking mm. my little plane up. You're going, no, no, got to get up. You can't sit in and watch it, get up and go for a fly. And it was fine. And, and so, again, see, I do listen to you. It drums in my wow. head. you just got to yeah. get out there and give it a go and you'll be surprised in how windy conditions you can actually fly a model in. And it helps, you know, it helps you kind of thing. And that's when Eddie Edwards used to come down. Um, he had yep. to fly with us a few times. Um, and you're good friends with Eddie. How did your friendship with Eddie start up? Was that through flying? Um, yeah. So when we um, purchased this out oh, this weekend the place, um, and um, in the on Bellarine, and um, you know with Eddie's shop at, at Tate's, and you know I was doing flying, you know, wise engines and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, everyone knows knows of Eddie, but I've never never met him. Um, I don't know, I don't know how we kind of just introduced, introduced myself perhaps at the shop or whatever like that. And we just, um, because he was so close, we just became great mates. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just all, got, we, cause we share very similar interests yes. with, with cars and cars on bikes and, yeah. and stuff like, and stuff like that. So, and, and music. Um, so we've just never, ne- there's never, um, a time where we haven't got anything really to say, so we just, you know, we just hit it off kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how how it just kind of happened um, with Eddie when we were kind of in the area a lot. Um, we just ended up kind of hanging and, and um, yeah, we just we just went from there. And then then you got the heli bug. Yeah, yeah. And you, you yeah. Were, and 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 the thing with with your heli flying as well, you had that concentration and the precision as well. So it was something that. You, you know, you could tell that you were feel, really focusing on precise flying of the heli as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like we were, you know, we were there trying to learn how to do inverted hovering and all that kind of stuff and those little, little ones. Um, but it was, that, it was that next challenge just to learn how to do to do that. Um, you know, helis were pretty good at the time or, you know, pretty big and there was a lot of 3D kind of stuff going on. Um, and it was just they, they were good, good fun. To, to do and it was something different and it wasn't didn't have to be competitive um and that you know the tech tech in it was really cool with the fly barless gear and all that kind of stuff um and so it was just yeah it was just kind of cool and and good good fun to do um and 
and you don't need much of a runway, so little ones you can just go down and in, at the park and, and have a fly, or you know, little little one in the front yard and just or wherever, just just go and have some fun with it. And kind of just be able to just end up. Now let's go and have some fun and just enjoy the air modeling hobby. Doesn't have to be planes or patterns or IMAC or could be could be whatever. Put a transmitter in my hands and let's go. It was those days, the heli days, as I call them. Well, they were great because there was there was a bit of a movement happening and a bit of a buzz in the air around helicopters in that era. It just sort of died off a little bit, but mm. you know, I, I love the look of helis. I just every time I see a heli, I get excited looking at it. It's a bit like you know when you you do you get that um the the, the juices flowing when you um are, are driving past a racetrack. You know, oh, when you God. drive past Sandown mm. or. Uh, you know, down Phillip Island. I, even mm. now, even though you know, mm. I, I, you know, I don't have the need to go car racing at the moment. I just go, oh yeah, this is great. You can feel the excitement sort of welling up, kind of thing. Even if I'm just going to watch oh, yeah. something. But um, yeah. I, 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 I'm pathetic for two stroke. The smell of two stroke. <laughs> and even there's walking walking the dogs the other night, and there's little was a little old Vespa kind of thing. You know, kind of. Bang! Came, yeah. came past and and the smell of the cheese was just oh yes I miss that. I told, you know <laughs> I want an Aprilia RS one two five motorbike. Oh no! Well, I sent you I sent you a, a a little link to a Kajiva Mito one two five two stroke, and you said yeah. oh, I need to get the RGV two fifty Suzuki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of motorbike listeners too, by the way, because you know we're aero modelers, mm. so that means we're tinkerers. And, and yeah, and okay, good. Mm. You tinker a lot, like, and but the one thing is, you know, through all the different what I call the phases, because I'm like you, uh, I get involved in things, and sometimes I, I call it the four year cycle. You know, I, I'm, yeah. I go mm. for it pretty hard for four years, and then I go, okay, yep. I'll go mm. and park that. You park mm. interests that never go away. Mm. You park mm. them, and then they come back. So. You know, the car racing was parked, came back. Model aeroplanes um, were sort of parked, come back, but it's always there. It's never, it's never far from reach, kind of thing. You know, you don't sell out of it. You just no. go and do something. Mm. So we've moved on from the car racing thing. Uh, now we're into the motorbike thing, and you've gone pretty. And you you went back racing, well, kind of racing again, didn't you? With the oh, yeah, in the last yeah, in the last few years, I, I did get back into into motorbikes um, and built. Um, so you know, because I had raced you know twenty five years ago, um, and um, so I built a. I, I did a track day. I had a. Um, I bought a really nice um, Ducati nine nine six, you know, a bike that I just had always adored, and I found one at the right price and all that kind of stuff and. And, uh, and I bought that you know, five five years ago, something like that, and um, did a couple of track days up at up at Broadfeet, and just you know, loved that casual um, thing where you can just you know go up to up to the track for, for a day um, and uh, and go for fame, um, non competitive, um, and just really really enjoy it. Just you know ride the motorbike the way it should be be ridden um, on a racetrack um, in controlled environment, um, and not you know worry about getting speared by a car or, or whatever kind of stuff or losing your license um and so yeah that, that became the next next passion um so um because i didn't want to you know damage the the ducati i just i bought a erect um triumph daytona 675 um and just built a track bike out of that 
which was a great, great fun and, and learning learning experience. So it was a, a retinal bike. It had no fairings or anything like that, but that was fine. So got got fiberglass fairings and you know did all the research and um, learned you know learned how to get into the uh, ECU and turn off all the things that you need to to turn off and and had a great fun little track bike and was really yeah had really really loved that and um, um, but you know being a Ducati um, fan. Um, I thought, well, okay, let's might do that as well for a Ducati. So I bought a um, again a, a repairable write-off, um, eleven nine nine Panigale, and um, and built a track bike out of that, which I've still got. I sold the Triumph, um, and I still got the the eleven nine nine Panigale, um, and it, it is it is a beast of a motorcycle. Um, very intimidating, but um, particularly around Broadford, which is a quite a, a, a tight track um but yeah just um unbelievable buzz yeah really but yeah i, I, I don't i haven't done that you know covid knocked everything as it did um, yeah. for, for most interests um it's COVID annoying knocked. isn't it when you think about yeah. it, like i can think two years of my life was mm. wasted from some of the hobbies that i enjoy because yeah stay at home. yeah but I've, I've picked up a new a new hobby um so you know what what can you Knitting, do? wasn't it? Well, some, something like that. Yeah. It's probably quite, quite um, close, but yeah, bass guitar. So um, what can you do at home um, and not have to worry about social distancing or anything like that? Well, this is learn, learn a musical instrument. But I had a, I had a, uh, I had a bass guitar that I'd never played and I had an, um, an electric guitar that I'd really never played. And um, okay, we, we're stuck at home. So let's get do some online lessons and, and just gravitated towards the bass guitar and, and now that's my my current obsession is 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 studying studying music and, oh, we just and need, learning bass. We need a drummer because we've got I've got you know yeah. I've got a couple of guitars mm. already lined up myself and uh, yeah. Jonathan Segev we're ready to go mm. we we, you yeah. know, we need a bass player um, yeah. we need a drummer I'll, and I'll um, yeah. you know we'll work out who can sing and uh, we'll be fine we can maybe do two of flying clubs. Could be, yeah. You know, maybe a Shepherd and Mammoth event, you know, with, with our band, yep. um, the Flat Out Band or something. <laughs> It'd be perfect. <laughs> now, yes. okay, yeah. so you've had sort of the motorbike things come in and uh, you were lucky enough to witness my uh, shoulder dislocation, so I'd like to thank you officially <laughs> for uh, supporting me in my time of need. Um, I'm glad you remembered yes. the ambulance uh, number. Um, so I had needed it. Um, not too early in myself, so um, it was good. I'm just glad we're able to be there for you and get you sorted out. Yes, I was just uh, was disappointed that I ruined you and your friends' uh, adventure. But anyway, we've recovered from that. The shoulder's really good, and we are planning another ride, which we had to postpone due to weather, which is a yep. good move. But um, we, the other boys are keen. So oh yeah, no, yeah, we're, we're, it's mm. still happening. We're getting to that point yeah, of the year where we're going to mm. get, get have to get up yeah. there. Uh, but um, You've you've come back into the flying thing a bit now, you know, through the through the jets. But you know, what what models would you typically take to the field now? Like, what would you be flying? So I've got a little EDF jet, which I which I like. One of the um, it's a mini mini Avanti, FMS or something like that, which just uh, what is it like a five thousand milliamp hour single single battery, and you only get like three and a half minutes. Four minutes flight time out, but it's a great little, great little thing. They've got a terrible flight time, those Avanti. Somebody else I know has yeah, got one. Yeah. I've mm. got the E Flight Viper that I did a review on, and a similar kind of size, and I'm getting twice as long, easy. Mm. 
Okay. Maybe it's not yeah. as powerful. Look, I think maybe the, the Avanti's a bit faster than... Yeah, look, it, it's, it's a nice little, nice little thing. Um, I've still got my F3A plane, the um, Pegasus. Um, that I flew at that last comp back in 2016, which I've only flown, flown a few times since. But you know, every time I fly, you just kind of go, oh, "This thing's magnificent." Yeah. You know, I just, I'll just keep that in top and fly it. I've got a little, um, a Seva, um Misswind, you know, the biplane, oh, yeah. um, which has runs the same batteries as the little um, Avanti, Avanti jet. Yeah. Um, and then I've got the the turbine jet. So I've really just trim things down like I've got a little helicopter and stuff I just I'm just not flying I haven't been flying much and I also haven't felt like it um I go through waves and spurts and oh yeah I'll go for a fly oh sorry I've, I've forgotten Jesus I've forgotten the great one that I've got um which my COVID um project was a um um a pilot laser um the, oh, that's right it 80, 88 inch with the yeah. DA 70 twin in it and that's that is that is a good plane I, I look at that and think oh, I've got to get that out and go for a fly because it's just so nice to fly. DA seventy is such a sweet motor. So aerobatics is really your thing, isn't it? Look, it is. Um, but <laughs> um, you know, we're just um, talking with well, texting with Glenn the other night, we we're just kind of thinking, yeah, kind of jets and scale. I kind of wouldn't mind doing some scale thing. It is kind of the same thing. Just uh, jets and do something scale. Mm-hmm. Really like a nice big Cessna or, or something like that, yeah. or like a scale thing. And, you know, you know the stuff that like the comps that Dave Law organises and those kind of things. Yeah. Just, you know, uh, I think God, I'm getting old, but no, that's just it's not it's not the case. It, that's not meant to be insulting to any of those people who do it. But it's just that's probably more the mindset that I'm in. Is just really enjoying some good good aero modelling and really and flying the the model in the way that it you know is a true representation of the full size. And, and have that as the challenge. Well, Glenno is very much in that that mindset at the moment as well. He's not really that interested in competition anymore. He's he's mm. just enjoying flying different things. And I think it's if you really go down that pattern route and you're you're really hell bent on you know getting up to the upper echelons, it's all you can think about. You, you don't have time to go and enjoy other aspects of the hobby. And I and I can see how you know you see someone like a Gerno Brookman who's an amazing pilot and he's flying scale models and gliders and mixing it up kind of thing and picking and choosing do you i think you know the similarities between you and me in certain ways are, are quite strong and you know i i love the hobby but i don't there's so many other interests that i have in life and yeah and mm-hmm. but i know that as i get older the hobby become will probably be something that i gravitate towards more when we're not as physically capable to do some of the other things that we're into that I know that it's going to be my fallback. I, I always said that it was going to be my retirement hobby. I just bought it forward and mm, all yeah. the time. But, I, you know, it's never going to go away. And I think there's something that a lot of people struggle with in the hobby because, you know, we know people that just love it and they live for it and that's all they live for is going to fly model aeroplanes. And I'm not in that mindset and especially at the moment. I love going for a flight. You know what I love about going for a flight? Now I, I try to make a day of it so that I have a good day. And a few weeks ago, I thought, I'm feeling a bit uptight. I just need to go to the flying club and have a fly. And I got out there and I get home buzzing, clear head, had a good time, socialized, forgot about everything because all I was doing was going and flying model aeroplanes. And I love that. It's like the de-stressor. Go to the flying field. You know, never have a bad time at a flying field. Just go there, sets me back on an even keel. And then I'll be buzzing for weeks after going, I went flying, I had a good time. You know, enjoyed what I was doing, 
and then wait for the next opportunity to get out there and do it all again. But as I always mm. say, error modeling takes on many forms. It's just not about going to the flying field. Like every week I do a podcast about error modeling. I'm practicing mm. my hobby. It's just in a different yeah. form. But I do, yeah. I, I do have um, – I'm getting worried though now about – a few different models that I need want to get completed, you know, for, for summertime and thinking, oh, I've got a glider that I've got to finish off. Um, my replacement jet, mm. that's that's coming. That's It's almost on the water. And so yeah. I've got to do some work on that. Um, we have to see the Wang Jets event next year. You've got to bring the jet because it's a great event, good good social outing as oh, well. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, because I went up. Yeah, just for yeah half a day or something this year. That's right. Yeah, yep. but that's um yeah, it's that definitely want to do things like that, and that's more yeah more where I want want to target exactly as you've said. There are lots of things. You know, there's lots of great fun things to do in life, and I was way too singularly focused in the past on in era modeling, perhaps at the detriment of some other things. But um, yeah, that's 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 in the past, but. Um, I, I kind of don't want to lose. You know, I spend so much time developing the skills. I don't want to lose all of those skills. And I still, still love going for a fly when, you know, when the mood hits. Yeah, you know, like what you're saying about going to the field. You know, if we're talking about the, mat, the motorbikes, you know, I do have an adventure bike, like you know, as you as you've seen, and I get exactly that same feeling on a Saturday afternoon, just going out to the hills, going out to the mountains for a few hours. But that's a solitary activity but you, know, you can't think of anything else you can't think of work you can't you just have to focus on on riding because you know slippery surfaces different surfaces all of those kinds of things you just have to focus on on riding and you come back and i've got to completely you know reset mind it's brilliant i was listening to a podcast the other day with um an interview with paul morris the ex uh, racing car driver okay supercars and all that and he was talking about this how he says you know, a lot of sort of businessmen and women get involved in car racing because it clears their head. And I can totally relate to that. The, 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 the times that I've had extreme clarity and calmness in my overactive mind is in a race car driving around, which sounds absurd. But, and it's similar to when I ride a motorbike. It's just all you think about is what you're doing at that particular point in time. Everything yep. else in my life, I'm already planning on what I'm going to do half an hour after I get off this podcast and what work I need to do and tomorrow what I need to do and blah, and I've got a very, very active mind. And so doing – and, you know, you know, we talk about um, people describe motorbike riding as freedom and I, I could never – I really struggle with that concept of what what does that mean? What, is, what does freedom really feel like? Until I got a motorbike and went, I get it now. I understand mm, – yeah now what that feeling of freedom is when you're just riding along the road and yes there's risks associated to it but i i think do you enjoy that journey in exploring some new activity oh absolutely that's that's you know like you say you, you know you got your four-year cycle or something like that but you know that excitement of, of the something new that new that newfound interest and you just become you know borderline obsessed with it and want to learn everything about it and want to get better at it and, and develop those skills and then go out and be able to do do those things. So, you know, like you, you, know, you start on your trainer and and um, you move on to the onto onto the whatever that, that floats your boat. Um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the jets or maybe it's you know the, the you know more complex helicopters and, and flying or whatever it is. But you know, that that journey 
Um, I was just, oh, how good's that? And I think that's one of the great things about this hobby is that it's not something that you can just go buy. You, know, you can't just go down to the shopping centre and, okay, all right, I'm now buying everything that I need to be an awesome aeromodeler and a competent flyer. You have to work at it. And the only, only, one, only person who's going to give that to you is yourself because you've got to learn the skills to build a model and prepare one that's not going to fall apart. But flying, it's, it's, it's up to you. You've got to do it. You can't just go and buy it. And, and, and so you get out of it what you put, put into it. Um, like it's one of those, just one of those things. You're 100% correct and having interviewed a lot of people now and prior to that, talking to a lot of people and asking them these kind of questions is that we're all tinkerers and we don't, mm. and, we've, and I think we've got good imaginations as well and, and we've got that end goal and that vision of that end goal inside that, you know, when you start talking about, oh, maybe get to a scale plane and get a Cessna or something like that, we can visualise what that would look like and the feeling that we'd have in flying that. I, I, I may have mentioned to you in the past, I've got that kind of imagination. And it's like when before we were, you know, before I had my race car, I used to like I fell in love with the concept of a Formula Ford single seat race car in the in the 90s at some point in time. Um, and I, I raced go-karts and then you know you'd see these Formula Fords and think, oh, I wouldn't imagine what it'd be like to sit in that single seater mm-hmm. race car low to the ground and drive it. And I've worked out that my imagination is very, very good. It's very, mm-hmm. very similar to the real thing and that I could save a lot of money if I just went, yep, I've done that in my mind because it's a – but it's like um, I love the idea of flying a glider because to me it reminds me of a single-seater race car. Mm, okay. And mm. and I started getting a bit motion sickness though when I went and had a crack at a flying glider. But uh, but that, that kind of thing – and I actually – I literally went to go and fly a full-size glider to see if it was something that I wanted to explore and learn how to do. Because it's mm. it's quite attainable. It's not overly expensive, yes. and yeah. within a week you could go and fly a glider. And I thought, is this something that I could get get into? And then I looked at it and went, "Yep, I probably could get into it, but just not now." So I parked that, and we'll go and play yeah, sure. motorbikes, and we'll do mm. do other things. So it's we're, we're very. I think most aero models are very similar in that regard. That we don't mind the tinkering, and we like the journey, and that keeps us keeps us motivated to keep on going. And like I said, even though you've had breaks from it, it's always there. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you just said, visualisation, it's actually one of the things I wanted to, to mention, is that is that something that you do? So away from simulators, away from field or whatever like that, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, you get, you get off from work or whatever it is, but doing visualisation of the thing that you are interested in at the moment. So we're talking about aeromodel. So visualising a flight, visualising a situation and and going through all of that in your mind um, and almost getting yourself programmed for the right and wrong, wrong responses for that because that's certainly something that I've done forever um, is that visualisation and you just go through it. I'm a very big fan of it and I, and I do it myself for various things, different things in life. So... Um, and I, I literally the other day had a chat with somebody about it. Um, you know, as you know, I'm a hardcore table tennis player now, mm, and yeah. and one of the biggest challenges I have with table tennis is settling my mind and staying focused 
because you can get distracted. Very People think table tennis is a little muck around thing, but when you're playing at a reasonable level in competition and mm. things like that, you have to observe a lot of things. So, for example, when the player serves the ball, you have to watch what the bat does to see which way the ball's going to spin so that you yeah. can react. And so you have to do yeah. things very, very quickly and process a lot of things. So you have to be very, very aware. Now, attention to detail is not my greatest uh, strength in life. But part of it is I will visualize – I wrote this to a friend of mine that played tables with me. I said, I'm not playing well. My mind is still too cluttered. I need to just stop and visualize before I turn up as to how I need to be thinking and how calm I need to be and stay very, very focused. And sometimes what I'll do is say to myself, okay, focus on one thing. So, for example, that one thing could be watch for their weakness. Right? And when I did that once, I turned up and I was a different person. I do it with um, video production when I'm on camera. I visualize what I want to be on, what I want to look like on camera. Um, you know, Or if I had to do presentations for work, I visualize that. And, and I was talking to my kids about that the other day, actually, about this, the concept of easing your mind and preparing yourself to go and do something. And when I maidened my jet, I did that. I knew the, the, the whole flight, literally from takeoff to landing, yep. in every circuit, I'd worked out what I was going to do. And I've talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to go talk about it. But when I crashed my jet, my problem was yep. I didn't visualize what I was about to go and do. And I wasn't yeah. in the right frame of mind to go and fly that jet, and so yeah, for me, it's 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 a very big part big part of the way that I work is to prepare my mind. Because when I turn up, I, I'm halfway there. I knew my my yeah. flight. It was not the landing was a non-event. I got on the ground first go exactly where I wanted to go. Everything was just a pre-programmed thing because I'd visualised the whole thing. But it's just finding that time. Sometimes I say yeah. to myself, okay, visualise it, find the time. Before you go flying, to visualise what you're going to do. Yep, yep, um, yep, absolutely. I mean, I would do that before every race. Um, you know, that was certainly a really important part of getting ready to go in a car race. You spend, you know, some time before you get into the car, getting your mind into the right place. I did my – we were competitors, so I was trying to put you off most of the time. But, but there is a time, Paul, when, you know, I was – sitting on the dummy grid um, and you weren't racing at the time, I don't think, but you were helping out. <laughs> and so the dummy grid, for, for the people that don't know, it's it's before they send you out on the racetrack to start the race, they've got a, a what they call a dummy grid, a fake grid behind yeah, the yeah. scene so that everybody knows where what starting position they're in, where they're supposed to start from. And then we go out on the track and we know who's supposed to be, you know, next to us on the track and all that kind of stuff. And so – Play, tell them tell the story you tell the story <laughs> so we're at Sandown, and as as talented as you are as i've talked myself up to be yeah as you've talked yourself up to be sometimes there must have been an anomaly in the timing system and it didn't really show how truly fast you were true correct i don't know how that worked but yeah sometimes yeah. Yeah, it just didn't glitch. Anyway. It was radio so, interference. Yeah, and so knowing what motivates you the most, our friend Brett and I put together something that we thought would help motivate you mm. and get you in the right frame of mind at this for this for this upcoming race. So when you're on the dummy grid, for the people who don't know, you're, you're strapped into the car. You know, you've got your helmet on um, in a single seat. You have very limited field of view up. 
Um, you can't tilt your head back much and you have a, have a strip on your visor. So the sun doesn't get in your eyes and all that kind of stuff. So you really, you just look forward. And so um, Brett and I had, had cobbled together um, a contraption that would we would um, hopefully help help Andrew get some additional speed out. So, you know, we've got the, the carrot and the stick or whatever you might call it. So this was, we um, erected a little um, beam with a couple of donuts hanging off it so that it just dropped down right in front of Andrew's eyes as he was sitting on the dummy rig. And we just thought, well, if he's going to be, yeah, it might help him. He could get some more speed chasing those donuts. Well, yes. Um, and and uh, I don't know whether it worked, uh, no. but the sight of a couple of cinnamon donuts floating over my head into my vision, mm. I thought, these guys, what have they done? But you know, because I, I am partial to a donut, I haven't had a donut for a while because, you know, I'm sort of on a bit of a diet, but I am partial to a donut. My record actually was um, racing at Sandown, came off the track at the end of the race, down the pit lane into the pit garage, and I'm not joking, I turned the car off undid my seatbelts, stepped out of the car, pit crew member James turns around and says, donut? I go, yes, please. So within about 30 seconds of getting out of the car, as soon as my helmet was off, I had a donut in my hand. And I thought, that's what. So, yeah. So, yeah, thanks for distracting me because I could have I could have been racing Formula 1 if it wasn't for you and Brett and the donut because um, I think actually the donut became a metaphor for my, the way that I race, that I pretty much got donuts <laughs> most of the time. Uh, yes. People yes, would say probably. to me, like, where do you finish? And I say, look, it's easier to count from the back of the grid, but third last generally is my finishing position. Oh, come, now, have, have, you, have you shared your greatest moment of infamy on the racetrack with the, the keen listeners of Flat Out RC? Um, was that which do, one was do, that? Do, was that the uh, <laughs> into the wall? One. No, no, no. Um, this was the uh, okay. So um, with a, a racing gearbox. Oh you, yeah, you, yes, right. yeah. It's, you go tell everyone. <laughs> everyone have a laugh at my expense. So um, first gear and and uh, reverse gear um, in the in the same direction, but you've got to pull hard over to get it into into reverse so our intrepid podcast leader had rolled up onto the grid um selected what he thought was to be first gear um prepares lots of revs lights go green he goes backwards um and the 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 great saving and and everyone all the other competitors will have to be thankful for andrew's foresight is that he'd qualified himself on the back of the grid so there was no one behind him um, for him to reverse that into right. when everyone else went forward. And nobody saw it because at Sandown it was a really big grid and I was around the corner mm. from the start <laughs> line so nobody knew that I'd gone backwards. But, you know, it's very with these racing gearboxes, straight cut gears, it's very hard to get it into reverse. Like I've mm. really struggled to get into reverse most times if I ever had to get into reverse. It was like it was easy for me to say to people, just push me back than me trying to find reverse. It went into reverse like a hot knife through butter. It never been into reverse so smoothly. But from that point onwards, I learned I would go up to the grid in first gear. I'd, yeah. I'd slow the car down. I'd put it into first. I'd double check that I was actually still moving forward. I'd put my foot in the clutch and hold it all the way to the lights went out and yeah. off we'd go. So I did learn from that. And by the way, Jason Bright, XV8 supercar driver, did exactly the same thing in a Formula Ford at the Adelaide Grand Prix one year in the sport race category. So I right, am okay. 
and and apparently there's a book that's been released on Formula Ford racing. And I said to the guy that I know that put it together, I said, "Did I make the uh, book?" He goes, "Yeah, you did. You, you know, you starting in reverse." I went, "Great, thanks for that." So now everybody knows I started a car race in reverse. Oh, well, yeah. look, we've had many good times and there's many more to come. Uh, Absolutely. Whether we're on Absolutely. motorbikes and cars and uh, model flying. Uh, That's what it's all about, though. It's the good times, isn't that? You know, just enjoying, enjoying the company, having a bit of laugh. All I say is we're making memories. And yeah, how absolutely. many memories have we made that yeah, we can yeah. laugh about for the rest <laughs> of our lives? Right? There yeah, are so great. many stories and so many things that we've done, crazy mm. and not so crazy. But, and, and, but getting back to the flying, it always amazes me that you may not have flown for a while. I'll go out for a fly with you, and you've just still got it. It's like most people won't get to the to the to, to the level of precision that you've got. So I think all that practice that you did many many years ago will hold you in good stead for many years to come. And we see we actually see it with older pattern pilots. They you know. Uh, the, the guys that uh, you know flew in the eighties and the seventies and stuff like that that are now in their in their older years. They're still very, very accurate and precise yeah, pilots. Yeah, you know, yeah, they know how yeah. to land. Yeah, once you've once you've learned it, it kind of just gets ingrained, and then hopefully, yeah, you can still still keep keep going and enjoying it, um, and be safe um, for for a few few more years to come. And hopefully, there's still fields and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can still do it. Yeah, I think we well, you've joined my club now, so we're pretty secure where we are, and. Uh, and hopefully we've got the field down the coast as well to keep on going to. But yep. okay, it's time for that uh, that question that everybody wants to know the answer to. The question that you know it, it's it's a simple question, but a lot of people struggle with it uh, in either understanding what I just said or actually answering the question. And that is, what has been your favourite model? I'd have to say so. It was one of the pattern planes that I built. So it was the first ZM line kit. The um, was the Oxalis. Oxalis, yeah. Um, Sounds like a disease. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I've got a severe case of the Oxalis. Um, it was a, yeah, this one was a bad case. Put some cream on it. Oh, uh, God. I, I, I vividly remember the model, whether that's the right name. Um, it was, so a Christophe Paysant Rue model, um, one of his world championship kind of winning winning models. How many did he win those? So I had a 140RX OS in um, motoring. Engine, and it was like um, the first of really, you know, they really put the, the, the big effort into building. And I and I flew it, and I flew it, and I flew it, and it just it just flew fantastic. And I really probably learned, um, you know, hundreds of flights with that. Um, and it's it, it was the one that really moved me through. The, the pattern ranks um, um, and gave me that platform to just reliably just put fuel in it, go fly, um, did, did what you needed to do. Um, and yeah, kind of, yeah, I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say I regret selling it because I needed to at the, at the time and so forth. But yeah, that would be the one that really stood out as one I did the most flights with and that I just developed the most with and through. And it was just like, you know, it was like an extension of the hands kind of mm. thing. It was a great model. Yeah. Well, Paul Marlin, it's been a pleasure to have you. Uh, it's been on the cards for a while. Um, and 
it was good to you know I haven't had a good chat with you for a while, and no. uh, mm. it was good to hear the story in all of its entirety. Because as I said, I, I've never heard the story. We go to the field and we muck around, but we don't mm. yeah. sit there yeah. and say, "Sorry, how did you get into the hobby?" And and so it's always intriguing. Other people enjoy it. So, Paul, thank you for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast, and um, most welcome. Get the motorbike all shined up because uh, we have to plan our trip. Absolutely, looking forward to it. About to leave. Already packing, come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Paul Marlin for joining me. We finally got him on. Uh, I have told him that I want to get him on. Uh, he's good friends with Glen Orchard. Glen Orchard is going to come on at some point in time. I've been talking about him for many, many episodes. He's another big name in the Australian model flying scene. Uh, but it was good to have a chat with Paul, a bit of a catch-up, and talk all things aero modelling and motorbikes and a little bit of car racing. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'll be back next week. Got a good, good couple on next week. That's right, a bit of a hint. Good couple. It's going to be a good one. So stay tuned. Make sure you come back. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, to our YouTube channel, Instagram page, Facebook page, are the main channels that we play around with we're not going to be banned like Andrew Tate I am now the top G the flying mates will know what I mean anyway Flat Out RC Podcast place to be thank you for joining me be back next week now looking back eyes on the freeway Bonnie and Clyde a classic cliche we're on the run This is what we waited for